Welcome to Integrative Conversations, hosted by the Academy of Integrative Mental Health. The Academy expands knowledge to professionals in the mental health community and beyond, using a conscious, experiential, and evidence-based format. Our mission is to deliver comprehensive health and wellness to all by empowering personal and professional growth and confidence. To learn more, visit us at www.academyimh.com. This podcast is intended to provide information as a resource and is not a substitute for mental health treatment, medical advice, or professional training, and the statements and views shared by the guest are their own. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Hey there, this is Laurel Sims-Stewart, content developer with the Academy of Integrative Mental Health. I'm super excited to share this conversation with Sarah Teeple on all things Ayurveda. In this episode, she walks me through the basics of Ayurvedic practices, the ways they can be used to target common mental health concerns, and a lot more. It was such an awesome time learning from her, and I think you will really enjoy getting to hear about all of the potential that this field can offer regarding mental health and emotional health. One of our primary values here at the Academy is collaboration, and I think this conversation is a perfect example of why that is so important when it comes to holistic care for our clients and for ourselves. Before we jump into today's conversation, just a few quick updates from our Academy team. Are you searching for some CEUs that you'll actually be glad you paid for? (laughs) Our signature certification course, Three Core Integrative, is approved for professional CEUs for many different U.S. states and professional licensures. 3CI is our training program to become a certified integrative mental health professional with the credentials of IMHP. Our model transcends the three most research-backed components of the integrative and holistic approach to mental health care, mindfulness, movement, and nutrition. You will learn not only research and theory, but practical tools and interventions you can utilize in your practice. To learn more about whether your professional license and state are CEU eligible, visit us at www.academyimh.com education. Also, did you know that you can now get all of our resource starter packs in one go? Yep, we've put them all together in one collection for $20 off the original price. This collection is an amazing library of over 20 journaling prompts, client worksheets, mind-body practices that you can use in sessions and for yourself, and more. And if you sign up for our newsletter, you also get access to the curated playlist that goes along with the theme of each starter pack. Check out the show notes for a link to sign up for our newsletter, and you can get access to all of our resources and starter packs, including this collection, through our website at www.academyimh.com education, or by visiting us on Instagram at academy.imh and clicking the link in our bio. And finally, remember that all of our podcast listeners can get 10% off any individual course or starter pack, including 3CI, with the code CONVERSATIONS. 
All right, that's our updates covered. Now let's get into learning more with Sarah in today's conversation. All right, well, welcome everybody to our conversation today. Our guest is Sarah Teeple. She is an integrative women's healthcare provider and her holistic approach combines the best of modern nutrition science with ancient Ayurvedic wisdom. Sarah is a certified holistic health coach and medical board certified Ayurvedic wellness counselor. So she specializes in gut health, hormonal balance, and calming anxiety naturally through those methods. And I am so, so excited to get to chat and learn more about her work because she is truly an expert in an area that I am not. And I am like so <laughs> curious about all kinds of things. So, so I'm, I'm really stoked to dive in today with her. Sarah, welcome so to our conversation. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah. Um, so just to get us started, can you share some about your background with our listeners, how this has like maybe impacted your path to where you are today and the work that you do uh, and maybe what drew you specifically to Ayurvedic work as well? I know that's a lot of different questions, but you can yes. kind of take that. <laughs> In any direction you would like. I love it. I'll take it and run with it. Um, Yes. Well, thank you for that great question. And, you know, like so many people who work in health and healing, I came to be where I am today through quite a sort of trajectory and journey of my own, you know, mind, body, spirit journey of my own. Um, Professionally, I come from a background of psychology, come from a family of psychologists, and I have my undergrad in psychology. And in my 20s, um, I worked in social work, and I was also in a rock band. And um, so for a decade, I was the lead singer in a rock and roll band called the Ladybirds, And it was wonderful and such like a freeing kind of um, felt like this badass experience. And also my my self-care, my uh, alcohol drinking, cigarette smoking, staying up all night um, was just in full effect. That is what I was doing. So I was helping people during the day, staying up and rocking all night, on tour a lot. And um, my mental and physical health were just suffering because of it. Um, Then in the year, I think it was 2008, I had a chemical exposure. Um, I breathed in a lot of a chemical with uh, high VOCs unknowingly. And that created like a series of inflammatory and immune responses in my body that created a lot of difficulty breathing, kind of asthma type symptoms, um, a lot of anxiety and a lot of skin issues. And basically my doctors had nothing, nothing to give me, (laughs) no solutions. You know, I got an albuterol inhaler, which is what they give people with asthma, Um, and you know, they said, well, you can see a dermatologist for the skin stuff. They're probably going to give you like a steroid cream, but basically there were just no solutions. So I was a singer, um, and I was having all of these lung and inflammation issues and a lot of skin issues, and it was causing me a ton of anxiety. Um, so I'd always been interested in health and through just 
knowing that I needed to find a solution of my own, seeing that Western medicine had no real solutions for me, you know, I started doing a lot of my own research and I found a branch of medicine called functional medicine that looks to address underlying causes of all kinds of issues. And I found what was big then, which is like anti-inflammatory diet and nutrition, um, which is still like very valid. Um, So I immersed myself in that made a lot of improvements in my own health, um, decided to study holistic health. So I went to a school called the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, became a certified health coach. And as I was on this more holistic health path to heal myself, um, I started realizing, you know, gosh, I would love to bring this into my work. You know, I was working at a, a women and family shelter at the time and, um, just really wanted to bring that into my own work and was starting to realize that the rock and roll band and rock and roll lifestyle were not serving me. So it's kind of like the more I got healthy in my body and then my mind, the more I was realizing this disparity or this incongruency between the way I was living and what was working for me. And kind of the more I evolved personally, the more it was like, this is just not working for me. So humongous life change, um, divorce, career change, changed homes, changed jobs, went back to school, um, you know, big kind of life upheaval as sometimes happens when people have, you know, sort of spiritual and inner and outer awakenings. Um, I still love the band. I still love my ex-husband. Um, but so this kind of spiritual awakening led me to yoga school, which yoga led me to Ayurveda. Um, and Ayurveda is the sister science to yoga. So that was sort of the, the trajectory. Rock band, nutrition, and holistic health to self-heal, inner awakening, yoga, Ayurveda. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's a, like, it's so amazing to hear. I love getting the rundown of people's journeys because I think it's so common that, that many of us who are in these professions, like mental health, physical health, just healing professionals, so many of us come to it because we're trying to figure out answers for ourselves. Absolutely. And I think that's so important for us to know and celebrate in each other. And I think that spirit of inclusion and compassion, like creates this vibe of there's space enough for us all. We can all collaborate and lift each other up. Um, And I think it helps too for our clients and the people we work with, our patients to see us not as some perfect beings that like, you know, some of my clients come to me feeling guilty, like, oh, you probably have this perfect nutrition and perfect lifestyle. And I'm like, look, (laughs) I do this and teach it and study it because, you know, I had debilitating anxiety. I had terrible constipation, had what I thought was infertility. I didn't have a period for four years, you know, like there are all these things where, you know, we, we ourselves have lots of, um, stepping stones along our path. And, um, but that, that really creates a lot of opportunity for learning and then sharing these things with the people we work with. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, it's just so true. Like we're all human and I, yeah, same, you know, in the therapy world, clients often come in and they are, they do see like a mental health professional too, as, as like, it's just this all knowing sort of <laughs> higher level self person. And I, I do say a lot, like 
no, dude, like I, <laughs> we are working on the same stuff. Like I'm preaching to the choir half the time we talk about all of these things because that's part of our humanness. Like we need, we all need these things, you yes, know, it's such a practice, like meaning that Absolutely. you and I have to practice it every day. Yep. Part of our practice is sharing it with others and helping them incorporate it into their daily practice. So, you know, it can just can deepen our own neural pathways around making these choices more often than these. Um, absolutely. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I, I feel like, um, so many times as I'm talking about specific things, like I'm making a mental note to myself, like, Oh, I should do that a little bit more, hmm. you know? Yeah. So it is deepening. And like you said, shaping my own neural pathways, which is why I do love this work. And I love to collaborate and understand other facets of it. And so I'm super interested. I had actually no idea that Ayurveda was the sister practice or sister science to yoga sister science to yoga that's so interesting so yoga yoga would be the you know physical exercises the asana also anything like breath work meditation can be tied to yoga also Ayurveda, but Ayurveda is more of the nutrition, the herbs, some other aspects of the daily routines, the self-care. Um, so yeah, very complimentary. Um, you know, there's sort of two sides of uh, the same coin. Um, and for that reason, a lot of yogis are very drawn to Ayurveda and I work with a lot of yogis. Um, but Ayurveda is also something that is very approachable, um, which, you know, I think that people hear the word and it sounds very foreign and they think it might not be very approachable and it might just be all Indian food and all Sanskrit words that they don't understand. Um, but it, it can work in any culture and for anyone's lifestyle. And my goal is to really make it simple and approachable for people. Yeah. I love that because to be honest, like it does for somebody not really familiar with it, it can be or feel intimidating, right? To um, be so removed from some of those, just just from knowing what even those ideas are and hearing mm-hmm. that. And, and so it's nice to be able to have a conversation where it really is made easily understandable for someone that didn't, <laughs> didn't grow up. Well, you know, I grew up with the Western medical model and that was about it, right? Mm-hmm. So... Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, we kind of think this doesn't really even apply to me or it, it, it couldn't. Um, but you know, in an integrative spirit, you know, we're, we're trying to bridge that gap because so many different modalities work, <laughs> you know, if you incorporate the wisdom and, and, you know, if they resonate with you, um, but yeah, so I'm I'm here bringing Ayurveda to the West. <laughs> I love it. Can you, I know you kind of started to, are there any foundational components or things about Ayurveda that you wish non-practitioners, um, lay people, you know, just yes. any of us who are unfamiliar with it could know and understand a little bit better. Absolutely. Yes. So Ayurveda 101. Um, Ayurveda is an ancient Indian system of medicine. It's been practiced continually throughout the country of India for anywhere from three to 5,000 years. And the continual practice of it 
tells you that it's been very effective because if it didn't work, why, why would they keep doing it? Um, Ayurveda itself means it's, it's, uh, a word, a Sanskrit word composed of two root words, ayur meaning life and veda meaning knowledge or wisdom. Um, so it's not just a medical model, but it's really a mind, body, spirit approach to all of life. For that reason, I am a lifelong student of this. You know, I do not claim to know all about Ayurveda, but I do, you know, have my scope of practice and my niche and um, love, love, love to share it with others because I've experienced such tremendous healing and and hundreds of my clients as well. And, you know, where the Western medical model started to kind of fail me, um, you know, with that inflammatory situation I had going on, um, Ayurveda really had a lot of answers. Um, So Ayurveda is a natural system of medicine. So, you know, back millennia ago, we didn't have all the technologies that we so enjoy today, Um, but we did have nature. Um, Ayurveda is often called an elemental system of medicine, um, which the elements are basically just nature at their most basic. So there are five great elements um, or panchmahabhutas in Sanskrit, and those are ether, which is just another word for space, air, fire, water, and earth. So that is what our universe, our world is made of. And since we are creatures of the universe and the earth, we are also made of those things. Um, But we're all a little bit different. So from those five elements come three doshas. And your dosha is your personal constitution. So Ayurveda is a really individualized and personalized system of medicine, which is one thing I love about it. Because you might need a different diet and lifestyle approach to address, for instance, your anxiety and constipation than your neighbor would need to address his high cholesterol, obesity, and depression. But so often in kind of mainstream wellness, we're like, this is the answer for everyone. You know, like ketogenic diet, paleo, intermittent fasting, everyone needs to do this. And it's like, it it really needs to be teased apart in a much more individualized way uh, for it to, to work in general and just for it to work for your lifestyle. You know, we want um, to implement nutrition, herbs, and lifestyle that's going to work within your life. Um, so that's kind of Ayurveda in a, in a very little nutshell. <laughs> No, that helps so much. And I really love, I think the, the thing that is standing out to me is the individualized component of it, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's a framework, which is still necessary and helpful to give us guidance, but we're not all the same. You know, we all have different needs. We all have different, mm-hmm. um, we all have different histories and stories. And so mm-hmm. I think that's one thing that drew me to integrative mental health too, right? Because there's so much that maybe I learned in graduate school about best practices, which are great. Don't get me wrong. Love me some evidence-based practices. But, you know, I encountered as as I really practiced as a professional after school, so many people who needed something different or something more and who really benefited from a bigger picture lens that made sense with their story, you know? And so it sounds like Ayurveda is a system that really 
speaks to our individual body's story mm-hmm. <laughs> in so many ways, which I, I really can resonate with a lot. Yes. And, you know, so many people, and I find women especially, who feel kind of judged and criticized or maybe even shamed by some aspects of our culture and and body expectations and body image messaging. Um, This Ayurvedic message of, you know, it's, it's individualized, maybe your weight or aspects of your mood or part of your constitution. We can still do wonderful things to, to make you feel even better because you deserve to feel good. But, you know, the approach is just so much more compassionate and, um, celebratory of your uniqueness than like, you need to fit into this, this category of weight or BMI or, you know, what have you. Um, And, you know, evidence-based is still very, very important. And, you know, Ayurveda does not eschew um, or discount being evidence-based or other aspects of, you know, medical science that, that we celebrate in the West, you know, we just have a different name for it because, you know, it's, it's an Indian system. So Ayurveda very much focuses on gut health. Um, We call it your Agni or your digestive fire here in the West, we call it your microbiome. Um, And sometimes in the West, we talk about it as though we just discovered it like 10 years ago, the microbiome. And it's like, you know, some systems of medicine have been talking about this for millennia. Um, And, you know, likewise, um, circadian medicine. Um, So medicine that has to do with your sleep and wake and hormonal cycles, that's becoming even a little more widely practiced and researched in the West. Ayurveda has been talking about and focused on that for millennia as well. We call it dinacharya um, or like your daily routines and kind of your light and dark cycle and how that can help with your sleep mood hormones or how it can um, be detrimental to sleep mood hormones. So, you know, we are often saying similar things um, just in a slightly different way. Yeah. Which is, yeah, of course, of course we are. Exactly. And I, you know, like always, right. <laughs> We're always. <laughs> and my, we do love to say that we just discovered things in, in the West and Maybe that's not always the case. So it is like, it's super interesting to hear the juxtaposition of some of those words, even that maybe we have heard in one way or another from our encounters with our own healthcare system. And now we're hearing it from this other framework. And we're like, oh, okay, maybe that's not as foreign as I thought. All yeah, of this absolutely. Was. Absolutely. And it's just, yeah, it makes it so much more inclusive. Like it, uh, it does apply to me and Hey, maybe I don't have to wait until there's like a double blind longitudinal 30 year study proving this. Um, you know, again, although there's nothing wrong, evidence-based is so important. And, you know, we have a lot of, a lot of evidence of the efficacy of many of these practices. Um, so yeah, integrated East and West. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you're right. Like, I think evidence-based has become this term that we have boxed in mm-hmm. to this very specific idea as well. So even when I said that earlier, I was thinking about these very specific things you know, that almost has, like reductionistic, you know, right. so discounts everything else, you know, right, right. But there is all this like historical evidence, mm-hmm. personal evidence, you know, there's other ways of understanding effectiveness in, in some of these things, these practices. And so um, I think 
discounting the history of that is is a mistake. Like we we want we want to look at okay, has this been working? Has this been effective? Has this been practiced for thousands of years? Maybe (laughs) maybe there's something. Maybe there is something right to your point. Are there any other um, misconceptions about Ayurveda that you come across that you know for our listeners? who have maybe heard about it or who have an idea of it, but not from a professional. <laughs> like, do you have any people bring those kinds of misconceptions to you about Ayurveda? Absolutely. Yes. And, you know, uh, first off, I think it's important to establish that, you know, when people do learn about Ayurveda and want to jump right in with their own research, that's so wonderful. You know, that desire to learn and grow is such a beautiful thing. And so often that kind of gets conflated with maybe learning about a couple herbs and thinking that this herb is good for everyone or, you know, and and this happens in, in our culture all the time too. It's like, everyone needs to take fish oil, Everyone needs to take, everyone needs to do this. Whatever you have to drink milk for your bones or, you know, whatever, kind of fill in the blank of the, the wellness trend du jour. But so it's the same can be with Ayurveda, like certain compounds that can be beneficial for digestion. One's called triphala. Um, you know, people will just kind of start taking herbs without really kind of understanding their constitution first. So I think that that basis of understanding your constitution, and if you are really interested or have health issues to work on or on any pharmaceutical medications, it really is important to work with a a trusted professional practitioner, you know, someone who's accredited and certified. That being said, you know, certain of the kind of routines and rituals like looking at your bed and wake times, looking at maybe increasing certain kinds of food for your dosha, um, that can be safely incorporated um, by anyone. But when you're getting into kind of more specific food as medicine, medicinal teas, herbs, um, that is is great to have some guidance around that, certainly. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yes. I, I totally hear that. <laughs> yeah. So what are some of the issues that you find it this practice most effective for, you know, I'm sure it's effective for lots of different things because it is so personalized, but do you have some, are there themes that come up where you really see a lot of consistent change for folks? Or if we have listeners who um, have something specific that they're working on, I know you mentioned earlier, your own personal um, things that you were trying to heal from, like, what are some of the issues that it's most effective in working on treating? Yes, I would say that I I see the most improvement and much of my practice surrounds anxiety and stress, digestive issues. So all kinds of conditions from, you know, IBS to constipation to acid reflux, you know, once we're getting into the more severe digestive conditions, like you know, Crohn's or colitis or, you know, like an autoimmune digestive condition, still very effective, but we'd want to make sure we're working with your, your Western doctor to your gastroenterologist um, and hormonal issues. So when I say hormonal issues, that can mean so many things. Um, but I work with a lot of women with heavy periods, you know, severe cramping, uh, fertility challenges of, of various kinds. Um, a lot of women kind of 
entering into perimenopause, which is the time it can be the like five to 10 years before menopause when we're just starting to notice some changes, um, but our periods have not ceased yet, you know, which would be the definition of menopause. Um, and, you know, so many women are really kind of phobic of perimenopause and menopause because we hear all these horror stories. And part of that is that, you know, our bodies are just not understood or celebrated at large, you know, by our culture, but also, you know, your state of overall health very much informs how, how your perimenopause and how your menopause transition will be. So, you know, perimenopause and menopause can be really easy for a lot of women. It can be, you know, kind of a non-issue. Um, but so, yeah, I would say Ayurveda where I've seen just so much success over and over and over, and even very quickly, um, anxiety, digestive conditions and hormonal issues. Mm, yeah. And you're, you're right. I feel like we are so scared of some of those things, especially <laughs> the hormonal. It's just presented to us as this really big thing that's just not workable it's just something we have to that's like sort of suffer through yeah that's like big and out of control and and isn't understood you know and I mean there are aspects of our femininity aspects of anything that aren't quite understood but that can also be like this beautiful kind of spiritual concept you know there are aspects of spirituality and consciousness that aren't fully grasped and that's what makes them really awesome and mysterious. Um, but you know, through Ayurveda sees women and hormones so much more through a lens of nourishment and nurturing, whereas Western medicine and kind of Western health trends tend to have this, like, you need to lose weight. You need to exercise harder. You need to eat less fat, like kind of the opposite of nourishing and nurturing more like, kind of depleting and and going too hard and sucking the life out of you. Um, and then we start to notice issues, you know, kind of on the other end because we don't know how to nourish ourselves. Um, so that's really where Ayurveda shines. Mm, I love that. I love that idea and that juxtaposition that you just articulated, that idea of nourishment, because I think in so many ways, that's what we're missing in lots of aspects of our lives, you know, for, for people in, in, in my social location, your social location, you know, that is not, that's not uplifted as something of importance. Absolutely. Yes. And I feel like in mental health, it would be a lot of, you know, like the, the nourishment, uh, is sometimes presented by helping your clients with self-compassion or like self-compassion practices and Ayurveda, the spirit of even the nutritional approach is much more nourishing, self-compassionate than this like deprivation, you know, depletion. You can't have this restriction, um, you know, and, and it's just so it's a completely different philosophy. And so for me, someone who like many women in our culture had, you know, body image issues from the age of like, you know, eight years old, or I mean, just something, you know, preposterous. Um, but, you know, and I was just a lifelong dieter, um, always had yo-yoing weight, hormonal issues because of it. Um, and always had this really negative self-talk around my body. So now to, you know, finally in my thirties, 
I'm now in my forties, but to find a system that feels so, um, nurturing and loving and just like a warm hug to my mind, body, and spirit, uh, is, is such a wonderful and welcome thing. You know, instead of the, you're not good enough, it's like, no, you are wonderful. You are amazing. You're divine. And that's why we are going to treat you so well and help you learn how to treat yourself so well, you know, for your longevity and your quality of life. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. I like, I feel like I have, I feel that in my body, like as I hear you talking about it, I really do. And I'm glad that you mentioned that, even though I know that that's a, you know, a personal part of your story. I think that's so true for so many of us, um, that we have kind of grown up in, in like this restrictive, depleting diet oriented culture, especially people raised as women, but certainly people raised as men as well. And, yes, and yes, you know, absolutely. I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because I think sometimes, and maybe some of our listeners will resonate with this. Sometimes when I hear things about nutrition, um, plans or, you know, just, just like mm-hmm. frameworks around right. like specific <laughs> diets, diet, like yeah. that sort of triggers alarm bells for me because I grew up in that. And that is something that now I'm trying to sort of unlearn and untangle. Yeah. And so I can kind of bulk even, um, mm-hmm. but you know, that shifting from your, from your perspective, from an Ayurvedic standpoint, like of this isn't a diet for restricting. It's not a, a, a plan for how to get you on this very rigid mm-hmm. path. It's, it is more about like nourishing and uplifting and it is a compassionate model. So yeah. it's actually very reassuring to me <laughs> to hear you talk about it like that. Absolutely. And, you know, for so many years before I found Ayurveda, I was a holistic health coach and I, because of exactly what you're saying and because of my, I mean, all of us humans, you know, essentially raised in like the seventies, eighties, nineties, you know, it was just, it was marketing. So, you know, we could have had the best families and upbringings. And I mean, Lord knows I did. My parents are amazing. Um, but you know, yeah, it was just marketed to all of us. Um, but because of that, exactly what you're saying, I never wanted to put pressure or make my clients feel deprived. You know, I was almost really hesitant to give people too many nutritional recommendations um, or, you know, put them on a plan for fear of like making them feel like not good enough. But so that's where the Ayurvedic perspective really helped me kind of see it a different way. And yeah, it's not about, you know, let's minimize refined sugar because you're going to be fat if you eat too much of it. It's because, you know, refined sugar your body doesn't know how to process it. So it's, or, you know, in large amounts. So it's making your blood sugar fluctuate, which is contributing to anxiety. You know, it's taxing your liver, which is, you know, um, making you feel sluggish. It's affecting your digestion, you know, so all the reasons where we, we do, you know, try to minimize certain food items and maximize other ones, Um, you know, but it's because of just the biological action that they have in your body and how they're either going to deplete you or nourish you. And we want to go more for the the nourishment and the benefits, obviously. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. That makes so much sense. And, you know, coming from a mental health standpoint, 
you know, as an integrative mental health practitioner, I also try, you know, I'm not a nutritionist and so, or a nutritional coach or a dietitian by any means, but we also know that um, nutrition can have an effect on our mental health, as you know, very well, you're talking about it. Right. And so um, it is, I'm always kind of trying to walk that line of really gentleness and understanding. um, And how do we, how do those of us who are raised in that marketing culture have a healthy relationship with that understanding of how our body uses nutrition for our mental health, for our wellness, without mm-hmm. trapping ourselves in in rigidity? Um, yes. And so, it's, yeah. Yes. And it's so ironic. Just the way you phrased that was lovely. And it just brings about just a point of just cruel irony about that marketing culture because that marketing culture was not only telling us we need to be real thin to be desirable human beings, but also selling us all of this processed fake food that is making us not like that, you know? And so, I mean, it's yeah. not an accident. It's kind of keeping us in this, in this fear, not good enough cycle. Um, and, you know, so we're ready to break out of that cycle, girl. We don't need that anymore. <laughs> I am so ready. I've been ready. And, you know, it's like, it's a process, but this sounds like, I mean, the, the ways that your framework works, it really sounds like it's a great um, tool to use for Mm -hmm. a lot of that. So you mentioned, you know, we, we always kind of come from a, um, a mental health standpoint in our conversations as much as possible. Although of course we know mind, body, spirit, all connected, our physical health, is our mental health, is all of it, right? Um, But when I heard you talk about its effectiveness with treating specifically like anxiety and stress, I feel like that's so, I mean, it's always been a huge component of my, my own clinical practice with folks, but I feel like just everybody has, it's skyrocketed (laughs) for, for many reasons, right? Um, are there specific tools or like, can you talk a little bit about, you know, how Ayurveda would work with anxiety and stress a little bit more? Like, are there any tools or techniques that come to mind? Absolutely. Absolutely. So earlier we talked just a little bit about the concept of dosha and that is kind of loosely translated as your personal constitution. So there are three doshas, vata, pitta, and kapha. And this could be a whole episode unto itself. Um, But anxiety is largely connected with vata dosha, some with one called pitta as well. Um, But so by understanding vata and pitta dosha and herbs, nutrition, lifestyle practices that can help uh, ground those doshas, you can really effectively treat anxiety. But so some of the kind of more specific tools that Ayurveda would use um, would be, you know, certainly nutrition, herbs and teas, and then that concept that I touched on a little called dinacharya, and that, or I'm not sure if I actually did touch on it, but dinacharya translates to your daily routine. Dina means daily, acharya, your routine. Um, And it's really the things that you're doing every day that kind of create the rhythm of your life. And in our culture, 
and especially associated with vata and pitta. Vata people tend to be a little bit more fast moving, kind of faster talkers, maybe a little bit scattered, really inspired and flexible and um, creative in that way. Pittas tend to be the like, they're go, 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 but they're more like focused, get things done, cross things off the list. They always like to be right. (laughs) Um, Good analytical thinkers, sometimes overly analytical. Um, But our culture is very aggravated in those kinds of ways, right? We have like Vata, so much sensory stimulation everywhere. We're scattered. We're expected to be doing 10 things at once. Pitta, we're held to these high standards. Go, go, go. Excel at work. Excel in your home life. And it just creates an environment of aggravation, you know, mentally for us. So we have to kind of look at our expectations of ourselves. We have to look at our rhythm, our dinacharya of, you know, are we eating meals regularly? Are we eating natural foods or, you know, processed foods that are also ramping us up with sugar or caffeine, you know, in our foods and in our drinks? Um, what is our you know, self-care, like stopping and pausing during the day look like? What does our, what do our bedtimes and wake times look like? Um, So, you know, that's where we can really also get very individualized in someone's Ayurvedic wellness plan, because, you know, people might be hearing this and thinking, oh Lord, like my, my Dinacharya, like my daily schedule is just jacked up. It's all over the place. You know, I never get through my to-do list. I'm always frazzled. I'm always overwhelmed, you know, but there are small places that you can start. Um, But, but, you know, really awareness being the first step in any process. So, so kind of looking at what your day looks like and this, I talk about this with digestion with clients a lot, but it also applies to anxiety. So, you know, we can't expect ourselves to, live such a fast paced life with so many demands and expectations, so much scrolling, you know, social media scrolling really activates your brain in a very fight or flight sympathetic nervous system kind of way. So we can't expect ourselves to simultaneously do all these really overactivating things during the day and not be anxious and not have a hard time getting to sleep. Um, and the way it likens to digestion with clients is, you know, people will be like, oh, I have, you know, IBS and, you know, I go between constipation and, and, um, and loose stools and, you know, just have all these irregular digestive symptoms and they're not eating very regularly, you know, like they're not eating meals at a similar time per day and eating more natural foods. So you kind of can't be super irregular and all over the place in one area and then just expect your body and mind to to cooperate and be totally different. Um, But so this is not meant to shame any of us who have this lifestyle because most of us do, but more meant to empower that like we can kind of see this vicious cycle. And in Ayurveda, we have so many tools, you know, mind, body, and spiritual tools. So if you can interrupt that cycle somewhere, things are going to get better. Um, You know, so this is, this is good news. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I resonate with so much of that. I mean, I think that's absolutely true. Yeah. We're just, our, our culture is not set up for some of the practices that we know, whether from your standpoint, from a mental, like a traditional mental health standpoint, whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. are 
just not nourishing practices to mm. use your to use your phrasing, right? Yeah. They're not. They're depleting practices. Yes. And I'm guilty of it. Like social media scrolling, that's a depleting practice. I'm not nourishing myself, mm-hmm. you know, but and another exactly and another really good word for nourishing, kind of a synonym, can be grounding, you know, grounding. Mm-hmm. And you know, so you have things yeah. like social media scrolling, running around, doing 10 things at a time, drinking a lot of caffeine. Um, they're just very, they bring a lot of energy up, 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 up. Um, and that's very, so Vata, the dosha we talked about that is tied to anxiety is also correlated with the air and ether elements. So we think of like in the chakra or energy system, the higher chakras. Um, and so again, often these, these people who are Vata predominant feel like creative and flexible and inspired. So those are the positive aspects, but also that just scattered airy energy can get so scattered, it can just, it can lead to depletion. It can lead to just overwhelm, scattered thinking, you know, anxiety, ADHD type thinking. So Ayurveda always talks about ways to kind of um, balance that. Ayurveda is all about balance. So let's balance out all that air and ether with some earth and some grounding. And, you know, there are lots of ways to ground anxiety. That could be by eating more grounding foods like root veggies, um, you know, warm whole grains, warming spices um, that could be grounding very literally like going outside and hiking, you know, putting your feet on the earth. Um, I know one of, you know, Bridges founders, Juniper, you know, is so involved in, you know, forest bathing and that grounding, very healing aspect of nature. Um, so, you know, this is what I love about Ayurveda. We understand things on this elemental and philosophical, this bigger level. And so now we can apply many different techniques or whichever one works for you at the time, you know, to balance it out. Cause some people are going to be like, look, I'm not cooking sweet potatoes. I don't like to cook. I'm not going to cook sweet potatoes, but they might go on a hike or they might, you know, buy some tea that has some warming spices in it. So, you know, we don't have to do all the recommendations. We have to find the ones that work for you and resonate for you. Mm. And I, I think that is also really nice to hear because again, as I listen to you kind of talk through some of, of these strategies and tools and the the framing of all of it, it sounds really like wonderful and inspiring. And then another part of me is like, how do I do all of it? So it's nice <laughs> to know you can take it in steps. You don't have to do all of the things all at once. It's more about an understanding and a learning process. It sounds like yes. of yourself in so many ways. And so it's so empowering in that way. You know, I don't want my clients to be totally dependent on me. I want to teach them these amazing things about themselves. So then like they become their own Ayurvedic doctor, essentially, you know, they can then notice when they're starting to fall a little bit out of balance and know exactly what to do to come back to center, you know, instead of being so dependent on external sources and validation or, you know, pharmaceuticals and surgeries and things that, you know, just are not as sustainable necessarily. They're important in some instances, um, but there are lots of other natural things that we can do before we resort to those interventions. Right. Yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. And you also mentioned some things around, as you were talking about sort of your daily routine, you mentioned like sleep times and wake times. And Mm -hmm. earlier you talked about those circadian rhythm ideas that are a a component of Ayurvedic practice. And so um, is that, are there things like for people who can't sleep, (laughs) you know, like I'm so anxious, I can't sleep. I don't know what to do with sleep times and wake times because I have major insomnia. Like, is, is that a similar sort of a practice, like trying to find balance and, and balancing out the energies there? Absolutely. And there are so many ways to do that. And so those two, two little pesky yet wonderful doshas that we talked about, the vata and the pitta are both also involved with sleep issues. Um, So there are kind of two types of insomnia in Ayurveda. One is a more vata style insomnia, and that would be characterized by um, maybe you can fall asleep relatively easily, but you also wake up from sleep really easily. You know, maybe you're waking up to pee five or six times a night. It's not because you're pregnant. <laughs> it's or not because you chugged a bunch of water. It's, you know, just because your nervous system is really kind of easily activated. And so people with the Vata type insomnia have trouble staying asleep or they're waking maybe very early in the morning around 3 a.m. and then having a hard time falling back asleep. And um, that period in the morning from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. is also Vata time of the morning. So doshas are associated with different times of days. Yeah, where different organ systems um, are kind of predominantly active. So that's that's really interesting. But so that would be a vata style insomnia. And to address that, we would want to incorporate some vata nutrition, some vata herbs, and some vata lifestyle practices. Um, There's also a more pitta style insomnia. And that would be for those of us who maybe you're getting kind of sleepy, but then once about 10 PM hits, you kind of get the second wind and you're like, all right, I'm going to do some more work. I'm going to get on social media. I'm going to watch some more Netflix. And, um, the, the pitta type insomnia is more trouble falling asleep because like your brain's just going and you just want to do more stuff and you want to get more things done. Um, often then though, when pittas do fall asleep, they're sleeping pretty hard and they don't necessarily need as much sleep as the other doshas. So, um, but, and then that's interesting because the pitta time of night um, is from 10 to two and that's when your liver is really active. Um, But so we can kind of get hungry again. Um, But that's also one of the most important times to be asleep because your liver is cleansing your body, processing your food, drink, toxins, thoughts, and experiences from the day. So we want to be asleep while that rejuvenation is happening so it can can happen to its best uh, ability. Um, So those are kind of two different styles of insomnia per Ayurveda, and we would address each of them a little bit differently. And for for your listeners, um, if you do want to find out your dosha, um, I have a really wonderful dosha assessment. It's a little different than other ones in that it teases apart your mental and physical dosha. And this is unique and also really important, though, because um, we can have different mental tendencies than our physical tendencies. And often a lot of people are confused about dosha and Ayurveda because they'll say, well, I'm kind of like this, but I'm kind of like this. So they'll feel like they don't even know where to start. 
Um, but for your listeners who would like to find out their dosha, um, you can find it on my Teeple Holistic. So my last name, T-E-E-P-L-E, Holistic. And it's my link tree. So I took it off my website proper because um, when tons of people take it continually, that's really a lot of work for me because I, I assess them all by hand and I will email you back and tell you your mental, your physical. Um, and so you get a, a couple really, really great kind of beginning practices to try out and to start knowing yourself on this elemental natural level um, a little bit better. So that'd be Tipo Holistic Link Tree. And I think it's just like dosha quiz. Um, but so anyone cool. please feel free to take that. Yeah, it's, it's a wonderful resource. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. I will make sure we put that link in our show notes as well so that people wonderful. can get right to it. I'm probably going to take it because I, I isn't in the past. I have heard a little bit about the doshas. It, it's like more um, just kind of like pop science, probably to be honest, but I have always kind of like when I've heard the descriptions, I've kind of thought like, uh, maybe that sounds like my body, but that doesn't really sound like the way my mind works. So yes. it's really fascinating to hear you talk about that. There could be, more than, you know, there could be some discrepancy or seeming discrepancy. Yes, we're multifaceted. Yeah, Yeah. we're so Mm. multifaceted. And, you know, like I had mentioned, dosha is not only associated with, you know, your constitution. So, you know, like your hormones, your digestion, your skin and hair, also associated with times of day. Also different doshas are associated with different conditions. So you might even have, a health condition that is not particularly tied to your your predominant dosha. But that again, that's where working with a practitioner really, really helps because we can kind of tease apart all of that. But it's never endingly fascinating. I mean, it really I mean it I was about to say it really sounds like it is because now you're talking about the 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 organ systems and the times of day I had no idea I love hearing about it. I'm so glad it's so you dangerous. know I'm yeah. so grateful for that wisdom because it's really like even just this level of deepening my understanding it is so fascinating that all of these things can be tied together which so makes sense you know of course it makes sense of course it's tied to times of day and the different organ systems mm-hmm. in your body and I mean like how how could it not be? Yeah, creatures so. of nature. So how could we not be? Absolutely. And I love when, you know, the, the light bulb goes on, you know, for someone like it is for you and hopefully so many of your listeners, because, you know, those are the changes um, and the beneficial shifts for us that are going to be fun to make and that we're going to be excited about and enjoy and that we're doing for the right reasons. The ones where it's like, oh, this really resonates or, you know, this, this light bulb just went off or, oh, I can totally like, this feels right from a heart space, you know? Um, so it's, yeah, I, I love that when I was first learning about Ayurveda, I was just like, just neural pathways lighting up left and right. Cause I felt like I was remembering something that I had always known on a deep level, even though I was learning something new, but it just felt like kind of awakening something that had been asleep in me for a long time. And um, it's very exciting. (laughs) Oh yeah. That's beautiful. It's like you're, it's like that the wisdom of our body, right? Like that we all have as humans and we may not have had the opportunity to really listen to that wisdom ever 
before in that way. And yeah. so I think the way that you described it of remembering something that you've always known because our bodies are tied to all of these ancient systems. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just really cool. And I think about even, you know, now of course in in the scientific community there and in the mental health community too, there's this new idea. Um, well, it's not new, but it's newer in the literature um, yeah. of like ep- epigenetics, right. And carrying all of these generational things yes. down, down through the years and our genes. And so mm-hmm. I was yeah, just talking I think about epigenetics with sense. a client yesterday. Yes. Were you? <laughs> yes. And, um, Absolutely. So yeah, these, this ancestry and this imprint, this like long-term body wisdom. Um, And, you know, I was, I think this is worth mentioning too, the context in which I was speaking about it yesterday with my client was that she was going to get some genetic testing because she has some family history of certain types of cancers. And, you know, needless to say, she's probably very terrified around this. And I wanted to share with her that in the field of epigenetics, what they're finding is that only about 20% of your long-term health, like the conditions you will or will not develop, only about 20% is genetic. More about 80% is based on, they're calling it the exposome, not the endosome, uh, you know, inner versus outer, but the exposome, your environment and your environment has to do with so many different things, you know, your nutrition, your stress level, your relationships. Um, So I just wanted to tell her about that and everyone about that to empower her and all of you all that even if you're like, well, everyone in my family has diabetes, so I'm definitely going to get it. Or my mom had this type of cancer, you know all of these things that are very real and and very challenging um, for families, but that you can also learn and make empowered choices and that can have a very positive impact for you. You know, so genetics are not destiny. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. I think that's so important to to say and, and for people to hear, because even from my end, from like a mental health standpoint, I have a lot of conversations of, well, everybody, you know, all both of my biological parents had intense depression or very very intense anxiety and they never they never felt better you know maybe maybe my parents are are a lot older now or or have even passed and they just never felt better they lived their life like feeling that way and so it's probably that's probably going to be me too and you know like and the stress oh, sure. that on an individual, you know, that's a lot of stress and fear to feel, um, which we know that right. state of stress, it's more of an inflammatory state. You're more likely to be experiencing those symptoms. So, you know, yeah, we just um, want to empower our clients and our patients, you know, yeah. acknowledge all the, the, the hard things and the histories, um, but empower them as well. Right. Because it's not set in stone it's it's more about having a working knowledge of yourself and again like your body and your family's story mm-hmm. and now what what can we do with that right mm-hmm. rather than just resigning ourselves to mm-hmm. riding that river yeah. the whole way yeah. yeah yes absolutely so you mentioned working with a, a specific client as you were recounting that story do you have like specific clients that really stand out to you or that like just 
changed how you practiced or really uh, mm-hmm. emphasized like this is the work this is the work I, I'm, I'm supposed to be doing that come to mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. There, there are so many, but the one that I'm thinking of right now that is really coming up from a heart space for me is um, a client. We'll call her Layla. That's not her name. You know, confidentiality applies. Oh, for sure. Of course. Um, Oh, yeah. No, you weren't like asking for her name, but it's kind of easier to like come up with a name. So Layla, um, and she had a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress in her life, a lot of, um, she came from a history of, of drug and alcohol addiction and she really wanted to get pregnant and had been trying for a long time and was just, you know, afraid that because of mental health, physical health, hormonal health issues, like, you know, it was just not going to happen for her. Um, and we, you know, because Ayurveda is such kind of a mind, body, spirit approach, um, we did a lot of work together around meditation and self-care around creating a a much more nourishing daily rhythm and routine for her. Um, We did some herbs and supplements for her, you know, with every client, we take a really detailed health medical history. Um, But uh, you know, she just had so she was really in the space of so much self-judgment and self-criticism and, and worry about her past and her future. Um, and, you know, after working together for about four months, she and her husband got pregnant and they're going to be having their baby pretty soon. And, you know, I just love her journey, especially because, you know, she really had some imbalances as we all do in, you know, mentally, spiritually. And she was the first, you know, to admit that. And of course, physically as well. Um, But it's just such a testament that, you know, from this really self-compassionate place uh, and place of understanding um, and her willingness to, you know, grow and try new things, um, you know, her family's going to be expanding and, you know, it's just very exciting. (laughs) I love that story. Oh, that's so beautiful. And I, I think, speaking to sure yeah we do cover the the nutritional elements we we cover the health history we cover an understanding of of how we can nourish your body in that way but for sure understanding man like what are those spiritual and emotional and mental health components that are just as important and, and spending a lot of time on those. And I love the ideas of like grounding through meditation. Cause so I do so much of that in my own life and my practice. Right. And so, um, that's such a beautiful example of covering all of those bases. And it's always so integrative too, you know, for her, right. um, you know, she was also in very active in a 12 step program and there's a, a spiritual and just inner work component of that, Um, you know, I do a lot of inner work with clients as well, but, um, and then, you know, she also, um, at my recommendation incorporated some acupuncture. My office here in Louisville is actually, I'm part of a women's wellness center and many of the practitioners here are fertility acupuncturists. Um, so acupuncture is also very, very, um, beneficial and effective for various fertility issues, but, you know, so, 
often a lot of what I do is bring the Ayurvedic piece to the table and so much support and encouragement and compassion, but also tying people to other practitioners. You know, I almost see myself too kind of as a holistic like liaison, you know, like, oh, you you have to meet this person and try this, you know, because it really helps to have your team and your tribe and your support system to live a more natural and healthy lifestyle. You know, it's not, we, we don't do any of this alone, you know. Right. Oh, no, absolutely not. And, you know, like that's a huge part of our work too. Like my own clinical work, but also our work at the academy is just having that collaborative model because we don't do anything alone. That's Mm -hmm. not, that's what we're taught that we have to do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, I think that even the belief that we have to do it all or do it alone or, or just be this one thing. Um, that can cover all of all of the needs of another human is is just that's what pressure. It's Ooh. so limiting. I mean, it's so yeah, it's so much pressure. It's so limiting, and so I think that collaborative piece is is really beautiful and so important too. I really agree with that. Absolutely, yes, me too. <laughs> so we're kind of working our way down. And I'm curious, as we've talked about so many things, I'm so, again, so grateful for all of this wisdom. It's amazing. I feel like we could spend so much time talking about one, even just one component of, of any of these things. Like you said, we could do whole episodes on some of them. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that I didn't know enough to ask about that you want to make sure like that or is is important or um fascinating or exciting or that you just want people to know about about this work yes oh that's such a great question and i mean i i feel like your questions and our conversation has covered a lot you know i think maybe one thing that i'm not sure that i've focused on as much uh, as usual, but would just be the Ayurveda is really, really about cultivating balance. Um, So, you know, again, it's not the number on a scale or your pant size or your accomplishments or, you know, it's about balance and what that balance looks like for you. Um, And I just feel like when we view our lives and the lives of our clients and patients from this lens. It's so nice because it's not like there's like failure or success. It's just, just balance. It's just evening things out so that you can be present for the fluctuations of life. Cause life is going to probably be kind of imbalanced. You know, this, this world's crazy in a lot of ways. Um, but you know, we, we can, we can do our best to be the calm and the, the stable center um, in and as much as we can, but so, you know, it's all, all about balance. Mm, I love that because it really is like, so, um, the first word that came to mind is gentle, but I think compassionate Mm. is, is more what I'm thinking about, but yeah, like life will never be balanced. And so we have to figure out how to compassionately hold ourselves as the waves come and go. Right. And so I love that that's a, a fundamental like a fundamental foundational component. That's really, really beautiful. Yes. And, and really quickly to the way you described that made me just think of kind of the next step there is that your body is always coming back into balance. Your body is always self-healing and rebalancing itself, but so often we're so busy 
continually doing things that keep throwing us further off balance. So in a lot of ways, Ayurveda is mostly about kind of teaching us to to step aside and let the body take over and doing its own healing work. Um, And, you know, of course, incorporating, you know, nutrition that's more appropriate for your physicality, meditation and lifestyle that's more appropriate for your mind and emotions and spirit. You know, those are ways that we create that balance. So then the body can just bring itself back into equilibrium. Um, But, you know, this, core belief that your body has the ability to self-heal and is always doing that. I think that's also very beautiful, very encouraging and heartening, you know, Um, because so often we just have this this enemy-like relationship with our body, you know, like it doesn't look the way I want it to. It's not doing what I want it to. I feel terrible and my periods are, you know, like kind of fill in the blank for different people's um, complaints. They're very real symptoms, but we see the body as this ally that is here to help us. Um, and so we want to help it as well. Oh, I love that you said that. That is, oh, that is one of the things that, um, in my practice, we talk about from like a brain standpoint, like some of the modalities I use in therapy are really made and, and set up so that the brain and our spirit alongside it and, and including the body can heal itself. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I talk about, you know, people think it has to be this hard work all the time. And sometimes it really is work and, and that's valid, but mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be, we don't have to be fighting against yeah. our body, our brain. Our, we are so set up. All of our systems are so set up to be able to come back into balance. As you said, heal themselves. If we, build that trusting relationship and, and that compassionate relationship and, and are, and have the tools. Yes, of course. absolutely. Yes. And so like the philosophy that we're saying, like a really practical way to see that or to illustrate that would be like in therapy, for instance, even though I know this, like your side of the road, but I'm thinking like, Oh yeah, no, therapy, you know, a lot of people think, Oh my God, do I have to just like all the time be like weeping and having breakthroughs and digging up like the most recessed of my memory, like from my childhood and from a, like a nutritional standpoint, they might think, Oh my gosh, I have to restrict and deprive myself and, you know, fast and do all these, like, just really like hardcore. Like we're just kind of taught that like, it has to be hardcore. Um, And what you're saying and what I'm saying is that there can be, a a slow and steady and gentle approach because our body and our mind and spirit are our allies in this because they're trying to come back into balance all the time. You know, we just kind of keep throwing a a wrench in the system sometimes (laughs) inadvertently. (laughs) Right. Totally inadvertently. (laughs) But yeah, I think, gosh, that's just so true. It's trusting, trusting ourselves, trusting the process, not having to just like, yeah, be so hardcore about things mm-hmm. all the time yes. to feel better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we always ask as we, as we really get to kind of our last little wind down, um, this question at the end of every episode with every guest. So it's just, um, can you share maybe a practice or a technique or a tool right now? Like we can maybe talk about it or, or do it together that would give us a taste, a real taste of maybe the work 
that you do or um, give our clients like a very specific picture, just a little teaser of, yes, yeah. of your work? Oh, so I want to share a breath practice and okay. I'm between two, but I think, <laughs> I think um, I'll share one called uh, the Brahmari breath and Brahmari translates to bumblebee breath. And this one is especially wonderful for anxiety, for insomnia. Um, it's especially soothing to vata dosha aggravation. So anxiety, um, kind of scattered thinking. Um, so it's a type of practice that is kind of falls under the umbrella of a concept called pratyahara and pratyahara means sensory deprivation. Um, so, so often as we go throughout our day, as we spoke of, we are just bombarded by information, by screens, by expectations, by lights, sounds, colors, I mean, billboards when we're driving, you know, there's just so much kind of coming at us all the time. And it really, really leads to, to vata aggravation, to overstimulation. Um, so this is a breath that you can do anytime. Um, some people love to do it before bed. I had a, a wonderful yoga teacher who used it to uh, ward off a panic attack on a plane once, <laughs> not the place where you want to have a panic attack. Um, but so the Brahmari breath is um, a breath done by usually plugging your ears. I'm going to show you a special way to plug your ears and the, we're not gonna fully plug our ears because then you won't be able to hear me. But the way you would plug them, um, and this again is to, to deprive yourself of all of this stimulation. But so we'll just do it with one of our ears. So you're going to take your index finger and point your fingernail forward and kind of gently insert it in your ear canal. And you can see like, just make a little noise. You can see you kind of like your ears not fully plugged. You can still really hear. But then if you rotate your finger you can see that that kind of forms an actual plug there. The pad of your finger forms a plug where your ear canal is. So and we'll unscrew it and then remove it. Um, so usually with Brahmari breath, you would do that with both fingers, rotate them. So the pad of your finger is, you know, in the front and that's really going to plug your ears. Um, the breath is done by inhaling through your nose. And then on your exhale, you hum like a bumblebee. And you can really feel that vibration. Um, some people say they can really feel it kind of in their nose or their sinuses. So it can kind of help declog sinus issues. Um, but it also really helps stimulate your pituitary gland, which is your master gland. So this creates kind of a relaxing hormonal cascade where our endocrine system works. It's kind of like these higher um, glands inform what's happening with the lower endocrine system. So anyway, it works on lots of different levels, but we're going to do it together. Um, you can practice Brahmari breath, you know, up to three times a day, I would say do at least 10 rounds of breath. We'll do five rounds together. Um, and I'll go ahead and walk you through plugging both your ears. And then I'll just trust that we're all doing it together because your ears plugged, you won't be able to hear. But so just to recap, we're going to plug those ears, then we're going to be inhaling through the nose completely. Your exhale is a hum. Until mm. you exhale fully, kind of sounds like a bumblebee buzzing. We'll do five breaths together. And this just brings that nervous system down from the sympathetic fight or flight to the parasympathetic 
and kind of blocks out all of that overstimulation and gets that pituitary gland just gently kind of working for you. So let's go ahead and gently insert the fingers. Fingernails are pointing forward at first, just real gently. And then we're going to rotate our hand to the pads of the fingers in front. Okay. Do your five breaths. kind of slowly let your breathing return back to normal. So you may have heard your voice very much amplified when you're plugging your ears. Um, that tone in which you're humming or singing can be any tone that works for your, your voice and your vocal cords. Um, and it's worth noting that, you know, the medicine of your own voice, your own humming, kind of gently amplifying that and drowning out all the other external forces, you know, so this is kind of a literal and figurative way to come back to yourself. Um, so I encourage you, you know, that's kind of a, an interesting and awkward way to all practice together, especially because plugging our ears was part of it, but you're trying to listen at the same time. Um, but I encourage you to try that again, the Brahmari breath, you can even look it up. Um, great for anxiety, great for insomnia, um, and just a very, very calming uh, practice. Oh, I loved that. It felt so nice. <laughs> it really did. Like even doing it as we're recording, you know, like <laughs> it just, I felt it and I felt those vibrations, you know, yes, go down. Vibration. It's just so soothing. And I, I do feel like that shift or I can start to feel that shift into that parasympathetic mm -hmm. state. And it's just really, nice. I love it. Your, um, your colleague used that to ward off a panic attack on an airplane. Yes. Yes. And so that extended exhale, you know, really, really mm -hmm. helps down regulating the nervous system. Um, but yes, well, I'm so glad to share that. And, you know, there's, there's so much more to share. I hope to be back to talk to you more. And um, I hope to connect, you know, with all of you listeners out there, um, please feel free to take the dosha assessment and learn a little bit more about yourself, give yourself that gift. Um, and, you know, just find me on uh, sarahtiefel.com. It's where you can visit me. <laughs> That's so awesome. Yeah, it was. Thank you so much. I was going to ask, um, is there anywhere else? Do you have like an Instagram or anything else that folks can look up to find you as well? Yes, I do. My Instagram is Holistic. And website, sarahtiefel.com, although I think Tiefel Holistic will also lead you to the same place. Um, that dosha assessment is on the Tiefel Holistic link tree. And thank you, Laurel, in advance for linking all that in the show notes. Um, and on my website, I do have some, some great 
uh, articles and blogs. If you just want to learn a little more about Ayurveda, get started, learn more about doshas. Um, you know, this is just such an expansive, fun and empowering field of study. You know, what I love about being in holistic healthcare is the personal empowerment. Um, and so I'm just here to be the bridge, you know, no pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. For our listeners, bridge is our, um, our clinical practice here in Louisville. (laughs) that the Academy, um, is partnered with, but yeah, I love that. So we will, um, absolutely link all of those things, Sarah, we will definitely have to have you back on to talk in more detail. Cause like I said, we have, I'm sure we <laughs> some of these things for hours. Um, but I'm so, so grateful for your time today and for your wisdom and just spending this, this episode with us and with our listeners. Um, thank you so, so much. It's been wonderful. Yes. You're so welcome. And yeah, thank you. Thank you guys for everything that you're doing in these conversations that you're having. And yeah, as always, we'll just keep up the the conversation. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Have a great rest of the day. You too. (laughs) Bye. Thanks so much for joining us today. Make sure to check out the show notes for all of the resources we mentioned in the episode, including additional resources from Sarah, where you can learn more about her work. And remember, we want to hear from you too. Is there a topic you want to learn more about or a guest you think would be perfect for our show? How can we support you as a mental health professional in your own learning and growing journey? Reach out to us at academyimh.com or on Instagram at academy.imh. Take good care of yourself, and we'll talk again soon.